G.I. Joe fans, get ready to converge. This year is the 40th anniversary of G.I. Joe, and the G.I. Joe fan community is ready to celebrate. HCC 788 presents, in special association with Surveillance Port and Serpentor's Lair, Cobra Convergence 6, coming in July 2022. For the entire month of July, your favorite G.I. Joe fan creators will be bringing you new Cobra-related content. We have creators presenting every day in July. Sergeant Slaughter's Slaughterhouse, The Full Force, Joe Motion Videos 82, Cobra Island, Half the Battle, Peg Warmers, Plastic Battles. We will celebrate our love for G.I. Joe by dedicating the whole month of July to G.I. Joe's enemy, Cobra. Get ready to turn the whole world blue. Cobra Blue. Snuva's Corner Cafe, What's on Joe Mind, Toy Connections, JLS Comics, Special Mission Force, Forgotten Figures, Joe on Joe Podcast, Talking Joe Podcast, The Human Mechanism Mark II, Audible Interlude. The calendar of presenters can be found at hcc788.com. Check the calendar and don't miss a single entry of this year's convergence. My Side of the Laundry Room, Jay Bartlett, Make Mylar, The Artist Shark, Action Robot Punch, Anything Joe's, They Gone, a toy kind of mood. Codename New2 Vero2. GI Joburg. Star Joes. You can get involved in Cobra Convergence. You are invited to create your own Cobra content and participate in a weekly promotion. Check hcc788.com for details. Cobra Lang. McDowan. Joe Colton. Podcast from the Pit. Fun School Ronnie. Order of Battle Podcast. The Skull Reviews. Articulated Points, Hooded Cobra Commander 788. Join us in July for Cobra Convergence 6. It's time to come together for fun, for community, and for Cobra! Welcome to a very special episode of Audible Interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast in collaboration with and part of Cobra Convergence 6. I am your host, Dave West, codename Phantom Troublemaker. And I am your co-host, Noel Wood, codename Crapshoot. And I'm your Cobra intern that got in trouble for laughing when Baroness said craps, codename Legion Cub. We are very happy to be part of Cobra Convergence 6. It is a month-long celebration of the foes of G.I. Joe. Yeah! Who we all know as Cobra. Cobra. There are many different media outlets participating all month long. Over 30 different contributors, including Sergeant Slaughter's Slaughterhouse, the Full Force Podcast, JLS Comics, Special Mission Force, Anything Joe's, Codename New2Vero2, 
G.I. Joburg, Fun School Roni, Podcast from the Pit. I'm not going to name them all because you can go to hcc788.com. That's Hooded Cobra Commander 788. You know him, you love him. Go to that page, check out all of the different contributors, and every single day in July, there is tons of content available focusing on Cobra. Today, we are here to give our review. Christian, why don't you tell us? Oh my gosh, so this is absolutely one of my favorite episodes of G.I. Joe. We are here to talk about everyone's effort to raise money Cobrathon. So Cobrathon, uh, this is a season two episode of G.I. Joe, a real American hero. Although if you look online, there there's somewhere I was looking, it said season four. I was like, uh, there is no season four. Yeah, well, so if you're thing. counting the previous miniseries, I guess. That's what the G.I. Joe wiki does. Um, oh, as well okay. as some of the fandom sites, because that kind of threw me off too. Because I was like, "Wait, that's wrong." So it's kind of like Doctor Who, in that depending on how you look at the thing, is how you determine what season it is. It could be season sixty-three. It could be season thirteen, depending on who you're talking to. Correct. But if you are going on to your streaming sites such as Amazon or uh, currently Tubi uh, is showing a real American hero for free, you yes. will not find a season four. It, no. is, it is based off the DVD releases. So it is on season two. Uh, so this was written by Martin Pasco and Rebecca Parr. It is from season two, as we said. Original air date was October 6th, 1986. And it is definitely immediately recognizable as part of season two. Uh, before we get into the episode itself, Kristen, you want to kind of give us a rundown of, of the... Give us the elevator pitch for Cobra Thought. So, uh, Cobra needs to raise some money for a computer virus that is going to take down Interpol and blow all the computers up. As one uh, does. <clears throat> yes. So, uh, you know, they just need a few billion dollars to make it happen, which just so happens to be over the budget that Sepintor gave us because he's a cheap SOB. So how else do people raise money in cartoons in the 80s? You get all the other villains together and you put on a marathon. A telethon. A cobrathon. A cobrathon. Cobra um, problem is you need some good entertainment, as we know from all of the good telethons of the past. So what is a cobra to do? I think we've got a pretty good idea of what a Cobra is to do. Uh, so we open up with the new season two intro that if you guys watch the full episode, and this is something I've noticed before, but we just, we haven't talked about a season two episode before. Uh, the new intro seems very dark to me. Uh, the Joe's land on the beach, but like the skies are dark. It seems very foreboding and like, it's a very different feel 
from the season one intro. And of course, you have all the new Joes and Cobras coming in your face for this whole, what, 35 seconds or however long this lasts. Like, it's new toy, new figure, new toy, new vehicle, trouble bubble, Serpentor. It it will give you an anxiety attack. There is so much action going on in that 30-second span. Yes. (laughs) I love wetsuit climbing up the side of the terror drone. (laughs) It's not quite torpedo in Fort Knox, but it's close. Uh, but it, I mean, this, this is what, as much as we love the cartoon and as much, and their new roadblock, um, it is like this intro is the most intense marketing sprint of the eighties <laughs> because it's everything from 86. It's just there to melt your eyeballs and make you annoy your parents. And they destroy, um, I mean, how many billions of dollars worth of equipment just in this opening sequence with the uh, conquests and everything just getting blown up. I mean, everything is getting destroyed. So they made it to season two. They have a much higher budget now. Yes, that's true. It's true. Well, okay. So you'd think they'd have a much higher budget. But I've got to say, and I'm curious to know if you guys agree with me on this or not. Did the animation seem not great? Oh, well, okay. So I meant the Joe team now has a much bigger budget because they renegotiated (laughs) their contracts. In-universe. In-universe. But to answer your question, um, yes. So Sunbow actually, so they did, you know, Transformers, G.I. Joe, Jim, um, they had three different studios that they worked with. Mm. So you, yeah, you can see, I don't know which one this is, um, but you can definitely tell a difference in the, um, the character drawings than you do in season one. And that's interesting because in rewatching Thundercats recently, I noticed that there were some episodes that just didn't look good. And I'm assuming Rankin Bass maybe had the same kind of situation where they had different sets of animators, maybe that worked on different episodes. And, I, and it, I, I know for Rankin Bass, at least for their stuff, obviously this is pre trans uh, pre Thundercats for their stuff in the, um, 70s they actually worked with tatsunoku studios it did speed racer right right. Mm -hmm. Um, but by the 80s that relationship had fallen apart um and i think i had read somewhere that they were one of the first well i'm not for sure but i know that they had moved on to different studios maybe not all in japan right but they they've like once thundercats got a little longer in the tooth they might have farmed some of that out yeah it seems like sunbow here you know, going into the second season of G.I. Joe, they were like, well, maybe the quality of every episode doesn't have to be great. Yeah, yeah, I noticed there's even just in this one episode, there are multiple styles kind of going on at the same time. And like I even noticed with like facial expressions and with some of the way that things moved, there was a lot more like anime inspiration in this episode that I'm used to seeing in G.I. Joe. And maybe it's just me going back and watching it again. But like when when you see there's a a, a part where uh, Tomax and Zabot both smile and it's like oh they've totally got anime eyes um, 
there's a there's a couple spots where you see like mainframe talking um and there's a scene specifically that really stands out where flint is coming out from behind a wall and the way that he moves in relation to the walls like that is straight out of like standard like 1960s 70s anime he just like slides out yeah yeah and it's <laughs> it's really odd because that's not something you're used to seeing in a gi joe episode and it may be going back and really closely rewatching some of these second season episodes i might pick up on more of those well and that was my thought is you know watching these over and over again through the years i'm you know i'm not gonna lie a lot of times they're kind of playing in the background or i'm 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 not sitting here focusing on the episode the way I was to do this review. So things like that may kind of slip past me a little bit if I'm, if I'm just watching them for entertainment and not for review purposes. And that was sitting down looking at this when I, I that's, that's how I caught on to all this was like, wow, this, this is not consistent. No. And there's a lot of spots where things are more miscolored or they just are like lacking details on uniforms, especially on like longer distance shots yeah, there's because uh, I've got it playing in the background as we're talking about it now. And there was definitely a, a moment with Duke where he looked like he was saying, Bear is driving car. How can this be? <laughs> uh, so I love I love that they've got. And again, this, you know, we talked about the intro focusing on the new toys, but really the whole episode, aside mm-hmm. from Duke, is very like new stuff focused. They, <clears throat> they show up in the havoc. A whole crew of brand new, you know, Duke's leading, but sci-fi, beachhead, mainframe, lifeline, who right off the bat, and this is where the, you know, Doc was the original pacifist, but lifeline is who people really tend to focus in on as being the pacifist. And that's because in Sunbow, he was that guy. Um, And he's right from the start complaining about the violence inherent in what they're doing. Uh, which oh, we'll get we'll get to that because <laughs> oh yes there's a, there's a moment where I, lifeline should be very thankful he is a gi joe <laughs> there's there's a moment where lifeline actually makes a pretty co- coherent point just by accident so we get uh vipers in this which is pretty exciting uh i i, I get a little kick out of seeing all these updated characters and designs and stuff because like what lives in my brain is sunbow is really season one i feel like those are the ones that got the most play when i was a kid because you know we didn't when we were kids we didn't have the dvds and the vhs and whatever of these we had to catch them when they were on and i think season one got the most replay and syndication it was the one like the miniseries and the first season were really what we saw the most of when i watch these season two episodes they're not as lodged in my brain well and i think season one too because you know we watched it and they were playing them every day so you had all your regular episodes right. but they were showing reruns and same thing when they were doing season two you got your reruns of season one airing during season two as well so they were mixing in those season one episodes they were doing at least they were on my local um uhf channel here and I'm sure that was probably the case on most of those. We've got it all on UHF. That's right. <laughs> I think there was just something twisted with me as a child that if a cartoon or any show had an episode where the bad guys bring in a bunch of other bad guys to either 
auction off good guys or <laughs> like we've captured them and now we're going to sell them to the highest bidder. Like all those episodes lived rent free in my head for years <laughs> until I was able to track down most of these shows. So, so let's talk about how badly I need super seven to go ahead and produce a sunbow mindbender with his big purple cape. Oh, I thought you were going to just talk about like how Super 7 just needs to do a line based, like a whole wave based on this episode alone. Oh, well, oh yeah, I want a Cobrathon box set. Yeah, because that, that was my first note. And Baroness, which, by the way, also let's talk about, <laughs> you, you'd think that Mindbender would have the most noticeable cleavage of the entire episode, but Baroness is not to be outdone. Oh, <laughs> So uh, inappropriate for 4 p.m. <laughs> on a on a Wednesday. Uh, yeah, and awakened doing, something in, in me, I'm sure, at the time. <laughs> She's full right. Jaja in this. In doing my research for this episode online, just to kind of see what people think of it, that is the number one thing that comes up is Baroness in the Black Dress. So... Yeah, it was a powerful moment for a lot of young boys. Well, look, when once <laughs> and people and, and and there she, my gosh. Uh, so <laughs> uh, once people realized what Super 7 was doing with the reaction figures and how deep they were going with some of this stuff, I, I saw requests online. We, you know, we love his tank.com and his tank commenters like, well, I guess maybe we can look forward to Zorana in the bikini or Baroness in the bikini. Uh, which Brian Flynn has already said no. <laughs> um, but but look for novelty's sake, I, I would totally buy those. Obviously, I'm look. I'm buying everything Reaction does. Look uh, if 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 he made a Cobrathon playset where all you got was the grandstand with Baroness in the black dress and then the roulette wheels with those with lifeline, lifeline and, and dial tone is it dial tone no, no sci-fi sci-fi sci sci um i i'd be all in on that i don't know i, I think i need De i think i need destro in his tuxedo and mindbender with his tuxedo with a cape, cape. well and major major blood in the tuxedo yeah major blood zartan and thrasher also Look, in there yeah just because we're trying to take over the world does not mean we can't clean up look at thrasher and zartan okay so here's another thing that jumped out at me uh so i always loved sci-fi as a figure uh he he definitely i mean he he lives up to his name he's one of the more science fictiony elements of gi joe that we saw but when he started talking i was like wait where is sci-fi from is that tennessee <laughs> Is he is he a Jarrett? Like that that I didn't expect that that twang that drawl that southern uh, accent to come out of that guy. And now actually, or Noel, you're looking it up, aren't you? Oh, Noel's audio just dropped out. Oh, I just had to go on mute. Okay. Uh, I'm looking for where he's from. Where is he from? Where well, is he's from? Geraldine, Montana. 
Montana. Is that a Montana accent? I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of crazy people who go up to, to Montana well, to join militias. So well, who knows? As, as David Cross once pointed out, that accent is everywhere. Yes, it is. There are people <laughs> from New York who talk like that. That's true. That's very true. So, so <laughs> this <laughs> Serpentor's quote, this is this is my quote of the episode. Uh, and there were there were a lot of good lines in this one. There's a lot of fun to be had. But Serpentor, by the serpent gods of the netherworld, how do you expect me to raise five billion dollars? <laughs> by the serpent gods of the netherworld. <laughs> what is this nonsense? <laughs> and now, and, and the question here is, what mythology lives in Serpentor's head? Because we know who he's made of but serpent gods of the netherworld don't really fit into any of those personalities. It's not, uh, maybe it's a weird unconscious reference to Cobra law. Yeah. It's his, uh, his subconscious being affected by his Cobra law is. And that's pretty impressive. Cause this was many months before the movie came out. So, well, right. Uh, that's, that's what I'm saying is this, this is just some colorful verbiage can, that they threw can, out there. Can we jump back for a second? Because I really, really have to touch on. So sci-fi and lifeline fall into a pit of, or lifeline falls into a pit of piranhas. Yes. And sci-fi reaches his gun down in order to help him come out. And lifeline is like, you know, I don't like guns. So he would rather be eaten by piranhas then grab hold of a gun so to be fair to be fair if you're sticking the barrel of a gun down and telling me to grab it i'm going to tell you no (laughs) because (laughs) fair point fair point the piranha would probably be preferable especially the that piranha are not the way they portray them often in cartoons and (laughs) fiction um but i love the fact that he just falls in there and the first comment is like Oh, you got some piranha problems. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, you could be a little less casual than that about me almost dying. I mean, they look, just secretly wanted Lifeline to die. Sci-fi is an expert. Now, granted, he's got just the regular old Sunbow rifle and not like his. It was weird to me. He's he's a you know laser specialist, but he's just carrying around that Sunbow rifle. However, mainframe. Did you notice he's carrying his little computer around? The oh whole yeah, time? yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that they they felt the need to stick to that attention to detail. Although he also has a rifle, which the figure did not have. Uh, but I think I, I think for the action purposes of this uh, this story, you do want mainframe to have some kind of firearm. And let's also not forget that the lifeline figure had not one but two guns. Two on guns. Well, unless. And he had- yeah, he had one that he carried in his hand. So, um, unless you had the was it General Mills version? Yes, which the mail away had, had uh, no rifle, no holster, and no uh, separate gun. Which to me is really a more I, I I I for that reason I like that lifeline a little bit more. Edwin Two Gun Steen, as I like to call him. I I also and so there's the scene when the Joes are walking through the the hotel lobby. And this sort of 
ties back to the episode when the you know when the little kid was like dad it's gi joe so dial tone has the two fangirls come up to him and ask for the autograph and he's like i'm busy on a mission whatever his phrasing was basically like move along now ladies that all i could think of was a christmas story when Ralphie is talking to the other kid, where the other kid is talking to Ralphie in line for Santa. And he's like, I'm just here to see Santa. <laughs> well, and the thing like, is too, dial tone completely blows those girls off and says, uh-huh. uh, sorry, lady, I'm, I'm working. And then Flint still berates him. And I'm like, Flint, come that's on, because man. Flint is jealous. <laughs> oh, that's a good call. Because Flint is a player. Yeah. Yeah, I and think you're both, right. None of the other jokes got any attention. Only dial tone. And that's because he's the only one in there wearing a beret and that's has right. a mustache. And a sweater. A sweater mm-hmm. vest. Can we talk about the amazing shot of Serpentor uh, shouting his demands down while we look at him from the crotch? Uh, <laughs> for like 20 seconds yeah <laughs> yeah that that angle and i look i understand they were trying to make him look like big and imposing and everything but but move that shot up <laughs> a, a foot the uh, waist waist up is fine for wednesday at 4 p.m <laughs> and even though there is some off-model animation in this. <laughs> when you watch the scene, when they do toss sci-fi and lifeline on the roulette wheels and they're spinning, I don't if you guys paid close attention to it, they did a really good job actually of animating their bodies getting tossed around almost both sides of that roulette wheel. Like, I'm watching them in the background and thinking, if this was any horror movie, they're coming off of that and they're already dead. Like, they (laughs) are beat to death by that will. I loved it. It's, I I saw somebody compare it to uh, Batman 66. Like, that would be, this this would have been something in the old Batman series. 100%. I, I completely agree. I mean, it probably was. <laughs> I feel fairly certain Batman and Robin got tied to a giant roulette wheel at some point. Yeah, but these guys weren't tied. It was like, let's just... Oh, they like, were, yeah, they were just thrown in there. Around. around. I mean, I, I, you know, they were tied up when, okay, now we're going to roll the dice that just so happens to have snakes inside of it. Who didn't see that coming? But... So... One of the things that I appreciate, and I, I, I mentioned a little bit before Duke being in this, and as a kid, I think that continuity of Duke, because a lot of, you know, with, with all of these shows from back in the day, they introduced the new toys and things just kind of moved on a lot of times. And you almost got lost a little bit. Like you, you didn't have your, your touchstones anymore. So it was hard to be as invested. I think it was a smart move to keep Duke around, even though, uh, you know, Flint was, he was the new Duke, but they still kind of kept Duke as our, our cornerstone of the Joe team as our familiar thing. 
Noel, you have sent a file. I just had to. We're just going to have to use that somewhere in the uh, in the cover art for this episode. Okay, definitely. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I was lovely. just capturing screenshots of, of from from YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's funny is is speaking of the continuity of things, uh, this virus apparently they ended up raising the money because we see this again in Joe's Night Out, mm-hmm. which we will review on a future episode. They not only got the money by the time that the by the time that we even joined the telethon or sorry the cobrathon, they're already like four point seven billion dollars into the funding. So, despite the fact that Cobra Commander and Destro are the only ones we ever see (laughs) actually answering phones, see, so I I don't think they were actually legit. It's Cobra; they're not legitimately taking donations. They just have another computer program running that is stealing people's bank accounts and depositing what? it into. They were mining. Account. They were mining Bitcoin thirty exactly. years before Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt. I've never felt so sorry for Cobra Commander in my life because he's just sitting there as like Destro's lackey while Destro's answering the phone. And at the at one point, he just like raises his hand, like I'm not even going to talk during this episode. <laughs> and the only time you ever hear him is 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 to retreat. <laughs> when yeah, Cobra Cobra Commander never never misses an opportunity to retreat. That's true. It's true. Str- strategic withdrawal, That's I right. believe, is the proper military term. <laughs> uh, so once once the Joes kind of figure things out, they send in the the fleet of conquests, which again we get a very anime looking Duke piloting the conquest. The conquests, top of the line military flight, just get blown up, yeah. completely <laughs> destroyed by the Night Raven. At least in one opportunity, like there's one opportunity to steer one away from the night raven and they just decide i'm gonna bail out and ram right into it <laughs> well sometimes... you had you had hundreds of feet to just bank six feet <laughs> to miss that thing i gotta get out of here <laughs> i'm doomed so we get the joes all parachuting down to this plateau and and this is after the rooftop battle where they fired their sunbow laser rifles or, or their uh snow job laser rifles if you prefer a billion times at the dreadnoughts missed but then a random o that gets shot down takes out the dreadnoughts i i actually uh thought that that was unintentional probably but it was still kind of like uh perfect because it it was a chocolate covered donut taking out the dreadnoughts They get, they get, and it's not even like, it doesn't even fall on them or anything. It gets rolled off the side of the building and takes them with it. So going back and watching this, there's a scene earlier on where the Dreadnoughts just get like three tons of rocks dropped on their heads. And they're fine. And for a minute, I thought, wait a minute, do we see the Dreadnoughts after this at any point in time in the series? Or do they just literally (laughs) kill them off? And then of course, five minutes later, nope, they're back on the rooftop. Well, they had, they had their little tiny Wiley coyote umbrellas (laughs) that protected them from the, the massive rubble that. See, I I think the Dreadnoughts get a good showing in this episode. Oh yeah. I think they're, you know, a good threat and they're just running on adrenaline at that point. Collapse the whole building on them. They're still getting up. 
adrenaline and grape soda. Well, they, yeah. they set the precedent early because they also dropped, um, instead of just shooting the Vipers that were coming at them, they decided instead just to shoot the girders that were holding up the mm-hmm. rocks in the tunnel and have them drop on. So they wanted it to be a lot more gruesome of a death of the Vipers, but it didn't work because the Vipers just crawled right out of there. <laughs> okay, so the one scene in this that did because like i said the the season two just doesn't live in my head quite the same way that season one does but the one scene that when it happened i was like whoa i i remember this this is like clear as day was lifeline on the craps table and mindbender has the giant shaker throws the dice and the cobras come out of the dice apparently this scene messed me up when i was a kid because as soon as I saw Lifeline on the craps table, I was like, oh, no, it's going to be the snake dice. <laughs> like, I knew it, it was very, very clear and brought up some kind of deep trauma out of me. I also love that they they make a snake eyes reference, but they're smart enough not to say the phrase snake eyes. Of course. For two reasons. Number one is it's uh, all right. Let's 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 let the kids actually understand what the joke is without telling them we're showing not telling but also because um there's a character that appeared in the comics and i think it showed up two or three times in the cartoons uh called snake eyes because uh (laughs) obviously highly underutilized in the cartoon compared to other media well who's i mean you know when you're doing animation there's only so much you can do with a guy that doesn't talk well when you're doing animation geared towards very very young people yes uh so we have the one going back to the craps table one of the reasons why i think it sticks with you because even in re-watching it for this you have so when he starts shaking the dice to throw them they in in the gigantic dice tumbler that's the size of a garbage can right but they toss in that cobra theme that background music that usually plays whenever they show Cobra Commander. Yeah. And it really works to build the tension in that scene because you, ah, your anxiety is getting up because you know something's going on. It's not just, oh, Cobra Commander has walked into a room and like the the music cue really worked. What, What is essentially a very silly premise is made sinister by that musical cue you're you're right and that is that is a haunting cue because they've like we've talked about a few episodes of the cartoon and one thing that we maybe haven't talked about a ton is how phenomenal the score to this cartoon really is and and it is ingrained into me and i we talked about it long long ago on one of the early episodes that that uh, that score is available as a record. I, I think you can still order the Barnes and Noble version now. And I've listened to that thing so many times now. And, and just in, in your head, you just, every, you know, every note, every note of every theme used on this show just lives in your head. It's, it's so good. And you know what everything means. So like you said, when that, when that one Cobra theme plays, because when you were a kid, you knew it meant evil was afoot, it still gets that reaction of like, oh, something, something yeah. bad's about to happen. <laughs> that ominous uh, combination of notes. 
so man this is there's so much packed into this episode uh we do get mainframe actually using his little computer that he carries around which is a nice touch and it's you know they've done their best to model it after what came with the figure but it does have him a little jealous that in the cartoon that screen lifts up out of Mm -hmm. the little box like it's got a little moving part that i is is pretty cool once again though um not following the occam's razor model uh because when he does pull that thing out um to upload his own virus into the big cobra mainframe right they never thought you know we've got a bunch of guns we could just blow this whole computer up <laughs> and not just hope that my virus works. But then mainframe wouldn't get to do his specialty. It's it's true. It's true. But although you to know, be I'm fair, just... Lifeline this whole episode never gets to to help anybody medically. Yeah, his his role on the team seems to be uh, kind of an afterthought because it's like, well, why did we bring the pacifist? Uh, you know, I, I guess you just know... in case somebody got hurt. The, well, I they, and they could have years old when I just realized that because their mission in the beginning, you're right. Why in the heck would they have brought? Well, and also well, they're trying to be very stealthy. Why do they bring the two guys with the loudest, the costumes? brightest <laughs> uniforms well, out of the sci-fi whole? Sci-fi can take care of himself in a in a gunfight. Maybe Lifeline was just Operation Human Shield. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've got to have a guy to fall in the piranha pond. Exactly. It might as well be like to find the traps and wear all red. So two things I'm wondering now, because I cannot remember off the top of my head. Did Lifeline at any point in his appearances in the cartoon administer any kind of medical assistance to anyone? Doc did. I, I'm pretty sure he did. I, I Listeners... If you if you tell us, because we're not going to sit here and look this up right now. Listeners, hit us up uh, on Twitter at G.I. Joe Audible and let us know, did Lifeline ever actually help anybody? And the other thing that I'm wondering that I cannot remember off the top of my head. So Xandar was in the movie, right? Yes. Because he, he's in the... Wait, he's, no, well, he's in. He's in he's the in Arise, Arise, Arise. Arise Serpentor Arise. Yeah, that's his that that's debut. It isn't it? I think he shows up a few times. Does he? Yeah, but he's you know he might be there and you you just don't realize he's there Wait, because yeah, that's he's his just in the background. Right, right. But I mean, Zorana became really Baroness's replacement to, right. to a certain extent, but Xandar kind of just didn't never really took off. No. No, I think that uh, there, there's a there's a large faction of the GI Joe fandom that might put him in the least tier uh, of oh, GI Joe characters. No, I see. To me, yes, uh, he never served as important a function as Zartan or Zarana, but I I don't I can't have the Dreadnoughts without Xandar. He's he's. He, he's a top level matter of fact i would pick okay here's here's my dreadnoughts hierarchy <laughs> have to have zartan have to have torch ripper and buzzard 
So those those to me are the main four dreadnoughts I have to have. Of course, the originals. Then Zorana and Xandar are even though Zorana's a little higher up, I can't have her without Xandar. Like to me, to me, they're almost as like they're almost like Tomax and Zema. Like as far as my collection goes, and as far as like if I were creating Joe Media, I'd have to have both of them. I can't not have them. And then after that, Monkey Wrench, Thrasher. Road pig, ro- yeah, road pig, Naugahyde or whatever. Zanzibar, Zanzibar, Zanzibar. Okay, Ugh. Zanzibar to me. Ooh, he's just below Thrasher. He's real, real close to Thrasher, <laughs> but just below Thrasher. <laughs> I loved well, Zanzibar. You know, Xandar's uh, Z- uh, only got one figure ever in the original line, and of course, his role on the team is just. Zartan's brother. Um, <laughs> Zorana also Zartan's sister, but at least Zorana had some functionality on the show right, because right. she did serve as a, uh, you know, as a master of disguise. Well, and somebody had to fall in love with a Joe. That's true. It's it true. wasn't going to be Baroness. The Zorana mainframe relationship is legendary. All right, guys, we've gone far too far afield here. We've got to get back to Cobrathon. Uh, I think it's time to wrap this thing up. And so I just want to toss a couple things out real quick. Please about, do. About uh, Martin Pasco, who wrote this ap- episode. Um, so he actually wrote the seven issue series featuring a terrorist organization called Cobra for DC Comics. When uh, uh, Jack Kirby created the characters, Cobra, the two brothers, uh, DC hated his script, held on to the artwork. So they gave all the artwork to Martin and said, rewrite this. So for those who are comic fans out there, the version of Cobra that you know now is thanks to Martin, who obviously went on to write G.I. Joe and deal with Cobra. Wow, okay. I, uh, I I think that we would be remiss if we did not discuss the budding stand-up comedy um, career for Destro in this episode. <laughs> um, but my favorite observation about that is you see that, of course, he's telling these terrible, you know, please take my wife style jokes. Um, he's reading off of cue cards and he is very frustrated. The first cue card you see, he's saying the line, I just slithered in from headquarters and boy, is my belly tired or something like that. But when they show the cue card, it says, I just southered in from HQ because what I'm sure happened was this was just on a piece of paper saying, this is what you need to animate for this scene. And they did not recognize those English, like Arabic English style characters, letters, right? English right. characters, and they probably just saw the L and the I, and they just put them together as a U. So I, I, I just southered in is uh, now my favorite new phrase. That's I tremendous. did not catch that. That is awesome. <laughs> uh, so, looking at this episode, uh, for me personally, it's a lot of fun. It is, if if you are sitting watching it. The quality of the animation is very distracting. Uh, it's inconsistent. It's not some of the best. But story-wise, it's a. I like the story. It's as zany as Joe gets. 
Uh, there's a lot of fun to be had with character stuff. Like you said, Destro. Destro is just annoyed throughout this whole episode. And I love him <laughs> for that because I almost feel like he's us in this episode. Like, this is ridiculous. I cannot believe we're doing this. He's <laughs> almost standing in for the audience. But, uh, it, I mean, this is, there's no episode of G.I. Joe, a real American hero that I would not watch a dozen more times. So it's not even fair to say, oh, yeah, I'd watch this again because I'd watch all of them again. But this, it's, it's a fun episode and it was a perfect pick for Cobra Convergence. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. uh, it just goes to show that it wasn't just Cobra Commander coming up with the silly plots to take over the world. Uh, it, his, his successors also followed through uh, with that, going as far as to put disclaimers uh, to make sure that you know that when they're showing all of the, the buildings blowing up, that it's just a yes, dra- dramatization. Yes. <laughs> dramatization. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I, I do wonder what dirt does Tomax and Zamot have on Serpentor that when they say, of course you have a telethon and Serpentor is just like, do it. (laughs) I I can't argue with you because then the pictures will be released. I'm sure that some of that was that Sergeant Slaughter DNA that he had in there somewhere uh, who was remembering watching the Jerry Lewis telethon as a kid. Just thinking, (laughs) oh yeah, telethons, those are fun. (laughs) <laughs> well guys uh thank you for sitting down and talking about cobra thon i want to remind all of the listeners that they can follow us on instagram at audible interlude podcast on twitter at gi joe audible uh the music you heard in this episode was by andy sanford of electric uh and of course all month long check out the many different media outlets that are involved with Cobra Convergence 6. You can find the list of everything at hcc788.com. That is Cobra Convergence 6. 31 days of celebration of Cobra. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.